Woohoo, Jesus, Job. Real life has real suffering. If you don't know where Job is, we have a handy-dandy slide to show you where the book of Job is. Look at that. The team is doing their work in the back. There is Job. It's in the uh, poetry books of the Bible. It's not poetry that we know. We, are at, we come from a Western way, a Greek way of thinking. The Jews come from a Jewish way of thinking, and their poetry is completely different than ours. The book of Job, verse 1. Now, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born unto him. And also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, a very large household, so that this man was the greatest in all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their homes, each on the appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did this, note with me, regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also was amongst them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household, around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's home. And a messenger came to Job, saying, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding outside them, when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came to him and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another came and said, The Chaldeans formed three brands, raided the camels, and took them away, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. <laughs> and while he was still speaking, another also came unto him and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's home. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job arose. He tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Church, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Let's pray. Father, thank you for an amazing book. We thank you for an amazing man. Lord, that this scene that we will see in his life, always used as a point of suffering, but it's much more than that. It is Job learning and 
understanding his real doctrine about his God. And how oftentimes, Lord, we don't understand what's going on behind the scenes, but we know you are sovereign and you are loving. And we do all that we do and all that we have comes from you. And so, Lord, we worship you today in spirit and in truth. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> don't you just want to be done? <laughs> You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm over with. Let's do this first. Let's turn to the last chapter. Isn't that fun? Let's turn to the last chapter, chapter 42. And I want to read one verse in that chapter that best describes what is happening in Job's life. We often think that we've got life figured out. Amen? We often feel like we, we know what God is going to do in any uh, particular situation because of what we, what we have done for him and given our life to him, and so we expect certain things out of God. But what happens when it doesn't go the way that we plan? Well, it perfectly tells us here in verse 3, at the end of the verse, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. That is Job, and that is you and I. And the, the quicker that you and I underline this in our heart, the better life will be. Are you confused? I hope not, because it says this, Therefore I have uttered what I do not understand. Job thought he knew all about God. Job thought he knew all about the doctrine of God, the nature of God, and what he came to at the end was, I don't know nothing. Isn't that good to know? And Job is older. You see, we think we get older and we know things. I don't know about you, uh, but I realize I don't know nothing. I'm only in the master's hand. Job chapter 1. Now, every time we start a book, there's a little bit of intro, so my goal today is to actually do this chapter. Penny said the last time that we were in this book was in 2000. 14, how many of you have ever gone through the book of Job as a church? Okay. Well, that's good. For those of you who have not, okay. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but when we get out of chapter 2, uh, until we get into the dialogue between God and Job, there is a... There's a middle section that seems to be quite dry, amen? But I want you to hear this, and I will say this again in a couple of weeks, but I need you to hear this. This book is filled with people who are religious, who think that they know about God in their religion. Listen to this. Job's three friends, we would say, are churchy people that they have a knowledge of God, and yet their knowledge of God is wrong, and God calls them on that at the end. This book is filled with even Job not understanding, obviously. Although Job is the primary character, we will see his friends, and I say that so loosely, come with him, uh, and we'll see them next week, Lord willing. Now, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Peterson in his commentary said this. He said, taking Job as a paraphrase, he said, in this introduction of Job, it is not only because Job suffered that he is important to us, it is because he suffered in the same ways that we suffer in vital areas of family, personal health, and material things. So we identify with Job. We identify with this phrase, life is unfair. And you look at a man like Job above all else, and you go, that guy didn't deserve anything to happen to him in this first chapter, let alone the second chapter that's going to happen, let alone he didn't deserve those so-called friends coming to him as well. Job is also important to us because He's searching questions, and he boldly protests his suffering. 
He took it right to the top. He went to the Lord with his troubles. Almost all of us in our years of growing up have experienced the idea of disobeying a parent and then receiving uh, correction from that. But what happens in life when you didn't do anything wrong and you still got whacked for it? You see, that's how Job looks at it. He's going to question God. He's going to say, Lord, what's going on? I haven't done anything wrong. His friends are going to say, oh, but Job, you have sinned. And yet we are going to see from heaven that they don't see. God says, my boy Job, he's blameless. It doesn't mean that he is sinless, but the idea is he hasn't done anything wrong. Listen, we do our best to try to figure out this book of Job, and for the last 4,000 years, people have been reading about Job and the life of Job and trying to figure it out. And the point that we need to get to is the last verse that we saw there. At the end of it, he didn't understand. He thought he did, but he needed more divine revelation. Again, this is a godly man, and Job's intense suffering was financial, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Everyone was against him, including, it seemed, to him, God, whom he had served faithfully. Yet Job was a spiritually, morally upright man. And so could any suffering be more undeserved? And we would say yes. Should not a righteous person be blessed, not badgered by God? The fact that Job was an outstanding citizen and an upright person had so much and then lost so much that makes him such a supreme example for all eternity of a man who suffered something that was unfair to him. Many individuals can identify with Job, and maybe you'll, you'll get that through this book, and maybe you have asked why. And I want you to note that, as we'll see, questioning him Questioning God is not wrong. Questioning why this is happening, not questioning God, questioning why, but then demanding, as Job will, an answer to the why, well, that's a problem. Listen, Job does not deny God in all that he does. He comes very close to the line. His experiences with his God at the end will come to a place that we all need to to come to. It is that God is sovereign. He is God and we are not. And sometimes and oftentimes and most likely of all times, we don't understand what's going on at the moment because we don't have the heavenly scene that Job had. Job Job is able to, and he is very fortunate to be able to know what was going on. Remember to Job, he only knows a little bit of chapter one, a little bit of the scene, and then his friends show up right? He doesn't know what's going on in heaven. He doesn't, he doesn't have the view that you and I have. And so poor Job, he didn't know what was going on. Now for you note takers, let's talk about the date and the writer. Now much debate has been uh, gone on about the writer of Job. I actually think that it is, I know this might be shocking, Job because he would be the one to give us a first-hand uh, knowledge of the experience. Now, what he got later on would be filled in by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is God-inspired, amen? It is God-breathed. And yet, and I need to say this because there are times, especially in Ecclesiastes and in here in the middle of the book, where God allows man to do and write things that isn't what we would consider inspired but just man's uh, dialogue. It's not right or it's not wrong. We'll see most of it is wrong, but it is God allowing them. And then at the end of that, God, God will tell them that they are, they are wrong. So uh, and during these long discourses that happened, it was, it was very uh, common to have somebody sitting there writing this. See, we think there, there are only three friends around Job, right? That, it's like the 12 apostles, there's 12 apostles, but there's really 70 going around with them at all time. They don't mention that all the time, but they, there are people there serving around the disciples. So it is very possible that there is somebody there on the side, right? Like, this is good. 
I got to write this down. And as he writes it down, then Job, at the end of it, he compiles it for us. Well, what about the date? The date of Job is interesting because it is the oldest book in the Bible next to the first 11 chapters of Genesis. In fact, Moses is the one who compiles Genesis. So in fact, this is before Moses. So we could say it is the oldest written book in the Bible because Job wrote the book. It was written probably, and the time of Job is right after the Tower of Babel, before Abraham uh, and before Moses. This is known as the patriarch time, and we're going to see his longevity of his age. We're going to see dinosaurs in this book. Oh, there are dinosaurs. We don't believe in evolution, and we certainly don't believe in the five billion, trillion, million, whatever they numbers they keep adding to the planet. I was up in Virginia last week, and I went to the Natural Bridge. Has anyone ever seen the Natural Bridge? It's on the in the Shenandoah Valley, and it's this beautiful structure. You walk underneath it, and it's just immense, right? So the water probably from Noah's flood or something had carved it out, and I went over there. I took a picture of the sign, and of course it said what? This, is, this has happened over millions of years. And I'm thinking, man, someday you're really going to know. You're really going to know that that isn't true at all, that we live on a young earth. And so this book, probably after the Tower of Babel, uh, around 21 to 22 B.C., it is 4,000 years old. It is probably the oldest book that man has uh, far as written down. Not, I didn't say the oldest. Everybody, no emails. We're like, I know this book. And then, but for far as the Bible and it's written down, uh, it, it is the oldest. Then how did it get in the Bible? I post to you that Moses probably, because he was in this area, uh, picked up the copy of Job uh, and then uh, brought it with the children of Israel. So, something very interesting in this book that uh, we experienced through the book of Revelation was that there is science in this book, Um, and not the science that it kind of is today, which is junk science and uh, lying science, right? Which is don't believe your eyes kind of science, right? We can see things happening before us, but they're telling us don't believe what you're seeing right before your eyes. So this is science in the Bible. And I want to make this statement as we hit those verses that the Bible is filled with science. Somehow it has been allowed uh, on planet Earth that you and I as Bible believers, we are against science. Have you heard that before? That we are science deniers? Do you know that the, the greatest scientists of all time have all been believers? And they have found it in the Bible and they went to the, and they saw, and it helped them discover. Now, not all great scientists are believers. Don't send me that email either. But there are a lot of believers. And to say that as a follower of Christ, we are not scientific in what we believe, what, what that tells me is you have never read your Bible. Let me, let me tell you a couple of these from Job. Just Job, not the Psalms, just Job. The evaporation uh, principle and cycle, that's in Job 36, talks about how uh, rain goes from the ocean to clouds to the land and comes down. 2000 BC, it's written down that cycle. Wind and weather directions from Job 37. The composition of the human body from Job 33. How about this? That the earth hangs on nothing. It is suspended on nothing. The suspension of the earth. You know, uh, different um, religions around the world, you know, say that uh, the world is being held up by elephants or by some god up there, right? The Bible is the one who gives the accurate science of astronomy. Oh, the evolutionists are quaking today. 
How about the ocean body phenomenon? It talks about currents in the ocean. That is something new that in uh, the 1900s was discovered by a believer in the Navy. He read it in the Bible, and he said, let me go figure it out. And he realized that there were currents that we all know now are correct, and it's biblical. Cloud the lightning uh, relationships from Job 37 and the orbits of the heavenly bodies and their influence upon the earth. So Job 38. So lots of science through the book of Job. It will be exciting to see that. And as a believer, we believe in biblical science, not necessarily man-made science, which is pushing a, you know, an evolutionary uh, principle that, uh, that we don't believe in. Again, the book of Job, is not primarily about one man's suffering and pain, but it's about Job's problems. Job's problems are big, but it's not just financial or social or medical. His central problem is theological. You see, we think about it as him losing his family, his possessions, his health, but it's greater than that. It's a theological problem. Job must deal with the fact that in his life, God did not act the way he thought he should act. Now, without a show of hands, how many of you have been where Job has been? Lord, I expected you to do what I expect you to do, but you didn't do it. So now I'm bummed, and now I'm leaving the church. Well, wait a minute. That's not how God operates. You are dictating to the creator God of the universe the way that you think he should operate. That's not how God operates. And that is the heart of Job. It's a, it's a theological problem. Again, the book of Job is not so much a record of solutions, which can be frustrating. There really isn't any solutions in here or explanations to the problem. We don't even get to the heart of that. That can be very frustrating. It is more a revelation of Job's experience and the answer carried within his experience. On this side of, of heaven and this side of the new Jerusalem in which we will spend eternity, uh, we, we often will not get the answers to our questions, to, to the whys. Why is, why is this happening? Why is that happening? And we have to be as believers okay with that we have a good, good father. And ultimately, he knows what's best for us when we think we know what's best for us. But at the end, we know, we know that it's not best for us. How many of you have been in that situation where you thought you knew what was best in the situation? Turned out not to be that. God's way was better. And you come out of it, you go, hallelujah. I mean, I love that God doesn't answer prayers. Anybody else? I'm glad that God didn't answer certain prayers of mine because if he did, well, then I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. You might be in a different direction, a different job. I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> it sounds crazy. I'm thankful. Some of you don't know, but um, in, uh, right out of my 20s, I, in California, went through the um, police academy um, had had my degree in that and ready to be a, a, a cop in California, tested around the state. The funny thing is I failed all of the psychological evaluations. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. No, duh. I mean, what other job can you do then? Pastor. <laughs> but I look at that. I was telling my kids that the other day. If I would have been a cop, I would have been a drunk and so far away from God, because I know who I was back then. And so wasn't it good that God didn't put me in the position that I asked him to put me in? Because he knew better than I did. I had a theological problem back then. I thought that God should operate as a genie rather than a sovereign creator of the universe. That is to be worshipped. Listen, in verse 1, it says Job was blameless. Now, that means without moral blemish, he was morally whole. 
He was upright, which means straight in the sense of not deviating from God's standards. He also feared God, that is, that he was aware of, he was, uh, had reverence, and he submitted to God's will and majesty for his life. And lastly, it says that he shunned evil, rejecting the opposite of God's character. That, that assessment repeated by God to Satan shows that Job's friends, as we will see, were totally wrong in his accusation, and I can't wait to get to his friends. Because you and I have people in, uh, in our lives that they think that they know what's wrong with you. Well, I don't, nobody got time for that. And they are so certain this is what's wrong with you. Job's friends, and they, they we, would cons- we would say it this way, they backed it up with Scripture. And they were totally wrong because they didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. Verse 2, I think that was pretty good. He had seven sons, and three daughters were born to him. And his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. And so this man was the greatest of all the people in the east, Uh, We know the time period, so we know this is before Moses, we know this is before Abraham, because this is how wealth was described in this day. So really no mention of currency, his wealth was based on what he owned and his possessions. Um, Additional facts about this patriarch are given in different uh, sections around the book of Job. It says that he was highly respected in Job 29. He was a fair judge again in 29. He was a wise counselor, an honest employer. He was hospitable and generous. He was a farmer of many crops and of animals. And that's why he became one of the greats in the East. That means he had wealth and he had power, but he didn't use his power like Nimrod did in the chapter before if you were taking it chronologically. And so the Tower of Babel that happened, Nimrod wanted to control people, and here we see a man that wants to give to people and be good and kind, and he is following what the Lord has called him to do. And his sons would go and feast in their homes, each on his appointed day, and they would send and invite their three sisters and eat and drink with him. So it seemed that this was a very happy, uh, well-rounded family, uh, and it would seem that uh, they not only did their work, but they also got together and they enjoyed each other. Verse 5 says, So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, And he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offering according to the number of them, uh, the number of them all. For Job had said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their heart. Thus Job did regularly. Now this is another patriarchal thing because there is no law of Moses yet. And so the father was the priest of the family. And so you might say, well, where did he get all of this knowledge? Well, uh, at this time, probably, um, uh, so I'm not going to say definitively because I don't need the emails. Uh, Shem is around. That's Noah's son. And it's very possible that Noah is around at this time. So that information is passed down. So it's passed down from Adam all the way down the line until it got to Noah and to, to Shem and his sons, uh, to Ham and to Japheth, the three sons of Noah, and they would have known, listen, this is what you pass on, that the father is the priest of the family, and he offers sacrifice to Jehovah God. It it says that Job would then sanctify, or he would purify his family. He He was concerned that they would receive forgiveness of any of their sins committed knowingly, listen, or unknowingly, he said in case they had cursed God. I know none of you have ever been in merriment and blown it, right? Only Job's family. And I love this. Job's like, listen, I know what it's like to have merriment and then slip up 
And Job says, hey, I'm covering my family. This parents is, listen, listen to this parents. They, these are adults and Job is an adult. And what he is saying is, I'm going to cover my kids in prayer. Do you see that? They're not too old to be prayed for. And to cover them and say, Lord, I know my kid. And wherever my kid is, Lord, would you just forgive him, forgive her of their sin? Would you put a hedge of protection, as we'll see? Would you cause them to stop the foolishness that is happening in their life? And I like that Job is that. Because it only says that in one verse. But Job really has the heart of a priest. One would not know it from the first few verses, but the book of Job is about, as we're going to see now, an epic war. Yet no city is attacked or besieged or conquered. No battles are won or lost. No oceans sailed or nations founded or adventures recorded. The whole conflict happens on an ash heap in a garbage dump. That's what will happen next week. But this epic war starts with this next section. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. When it says the sons of God, that is an Old Testament way of saying the angels of God. That is not only the, uh, uh, the angels that did not fall, but also the angels that have fallen. Now, how many of you have ever heard that God cannot have sin in his presence, right? You can't tolerate that. This disproves that right here because Satan is standing in front of him. He has fallen. By the way, take note because this is exciting. There's only three times where this guy speaks in the Bible. I'm so glad it's only three. We don't need to hear from him. We heard from him in the garden with Eve. We heard from him here and then we hear from him when he is in the temptation in the wilderness with Christ. Three times. Now, in Revelation, remember we saw that he was the accuser of the brethren? Well, this plays out here in Job. And so, they come before the Lord, and I don't know the whole thing. Here, listen. I don't know the how and the why and why God allowed it to happen. Forget all of that. Try, don't. They're just there. Here's the scene, and we are able to see this scene in heaven. And the Lord said to Satan, and listen, he has a dialogue with him. I don't know why he's having a dialogue, but he's having a dialogue with him. He said, from where do you come? Now, listen, does God know where he's coming from? <sighs> yes, he knows. Why does God, why do... <laughs> Why does a parent ask a kid, where did you get that cookie? The parent knows where the kid got the cookie. Amen. He got up on a stool and on a chair and then got up on the refrigerator. It's amazing what kids do. What is the parent trying to, to do? Elicit the response of the child. And so he, he says to Satan, where do you come from? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro, on the earth and from walking back and forth. Peter says that he walks as a, a one that is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Please note with me uh, that Satan is a created being. He is not on an equal footing with God. There, there is a misnomer on planet earth that thinks that Satan is at, at uh, you know, equality with God. He is a created being. And for whatever God's reasoning are, and they are his, he allows Satan to do what he does. And when we're in eternity, maybe we'll know and maybe we won't know, but as we learn in Revelation, will it matter? Absolutely not, because we're there, and hallelujah, Lord, we're, we're there. And he says, from walking back and forth, and the Lord said to Satan, now, verse, notice this in verse 8, I don't know about you, but I, I'm just asking the Lord to never have this conversation with Satan about me. Anybody else? Like this, leave my name. It, and, it, and if you're Job and you're writing this at the end, and the Lord is telling him all that in, in one day, and then the Lord said, have you seen Job? Wait, what, what? 
this was happening, why, why am I involved? Think about how Job learns about this. Have, have, have you considered, and that word consider is a military term. Have you, <laughs> let's go back to uh, one of the bushes, strategery, right? Have you, have you strategized, have you thought about, have you reckoned, have you uh, did an intense search of my servant Job? I don't ever want that to be about me. He says, there is, listen to God saying about Job's character. There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. He does not say that he is sinless. He simply says that he is blameless, he is upright, and one who fears God and shuns evil. And so Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Listen to the accuser of the brethren. Listen to the liar from the pit of hell, Satan. (laughs) He says, have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Listen to Satan. The only reason why Job does what he does, God, is because you give him stuff. You protect him. And so obviously, God, he is going to be blameless and upright and shun evil because of what you give him. (laughs) Oh, there's so much to unpack here. A couple of things to note in verse 10, that when you serve God, there is a hedge of protection around you. Can I get an amen there? This is great. There are so many benefits in being a believer in Jesus Christ. And one of them is a hedge of protection. And we'll get to this in a minute. But the only way that suffering can come upon you in the way that it comes upon Job is that God allows it. He takes that hedge and he lowers it. But there is a hedge of protection around us. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have been thankful for that hedge of protection. How about that hedge of protection when you're driving and you don't realize why you got behind the person who is doing 30 in a 60 zone on 378 going to Columbia? And you get stuck behind. But then you go down the road and you see the ambulances and the fire trucks and you realize that if I had been going the normal speed that I'd be going, I would be in that accident. That's a hedge of protection. And on and on it goes. All that God does, we thank God right now in the a.m. that we woke up and we had breath in our lungs. I mean, waking up's good, isn't it? Breathing's good being able to praise the Lord God for what he has given us. He puts a hedge of protection around us. So why does he drop it every once in a while? I don't know. And maybe we'll never know. I know for Job, it's to fix his doctrinal issues with God. And as we'll see, something that people don't like, to prove something to Satan. No, I won't get into that today. That'll be next week. He says, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has. And he will surely curse you to your face. God, here's the deal. If you take everything away from him and you leave him penniless, you leave him without sons and daughters and without a roof and every. if you take everything away from him, He's going to curse you. That's how shallow a guy Job is. That's what Satan is doing. He is accusing the brethren. And the Lord said to him, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now you read that and you go, What? Lord, what are you doing? 
You're lowering the hedge? Why are you doing that? Why are you giving the enemy permission to remove everything? Listen to him. Behold, all that he has is in your power. Satan needed permission to attack Job. Listen to this principle. Remember, we just had a principle about a hedge of protection around you and I. In order for something to happen in your life, the enemy must have permission. Now, let's pause a second. Not everything that happens in this life happens from the demonic realm. Everybody got that? This world is filled with fallen human beings that don't need help from Satan to do anything. This world is filled with nails that go in people's tires. This world is filled with water heaters that only work for five years and then explode in your, in your garage and water goes everywhere and you have to call the plumber at two in the morning and it's a $1,000 bill. That's life. Not everything is this. But when it does happen, it must be okayed from our dad. Now, I say that And then I realized that's heavy, which means you just heard that your dad, your loving heavenly father in heaven, okayed you to go through what you just went through. Is that heavy or what? Does that mean he doesn't love me? Oh, no, no, he he loves you. In fact, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you such as common to men. Listen to what Paul the Apostle says. He says, all mankind goes through things. Why why do you think that you're special just because you're a believer? We think that. We think we get saved, everything will be fine. No problems will ever happen. But Paul says, no, it will happen. No temptation has overtaken you such as common to men, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are, here's the word, able. Well, what does that mean in my life? I don't know. It's different in everybody. You may be able to handle something that I might not be able to handle, and vice versa, and it goes on. Everyone in the room has a different able. But God knows your spot. And when you think, Lord, it's too much, he goes, no, you got a little bit more able to go. Listen, what you are able, but with temptation, he will make the way of escape that you may able to bear it. Hupamoni, hold up the weight underneath it. And so God knew what Job could go through. And he allowed, he says, only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Notice that in verse 12, how fast Satan exited stage left. He was excited. I can't wait to touch this guy and prove God wrong. Now, we have already uh, explained this here at Calvary Chapel multiple times. Satan never has a good day. He starts out his day, I'm very excited. I'm going to go blow up uh, Job's life, and then we're going to see what happened at the end of the day. I'm so glad that Satan never has a good day. Verse 13, now, There was a day, and the idea is probably the next day, or even (laughs) that hour, when the sons and daughters were eating and drinking. They were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's home, and a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans raided them and took them away, and indeed they killed the servant with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now, what's interesting here is that Satan uses the Sabaeans because the Sabaeans were probably wicked anyway. They only needed a little suggestion. Hey, go down that road. And they went down that road and they do what Sabaeans do, which is raid and pillage and destroy. They just needed a little arrow from the devil. They go right down and do that. And while they were still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep 
and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped you. So, notice the phrase, the fire of God fell from heaven. Is that a true statement? That was terrible. Church, was that a true statement? Yet, somebody thought that God had done this thing. They were on NBC News after a hurricane and said, this is God's power. That's not true. People think things that, are you ready for it, are not true. And yet in their mind, in this servant's mind, it was absolutely the fire from God, but it wasn't the fire from God, it was from Satan. We'll see that in a minute as well. And while he was still speaking, another came and said the Chaldeans formed three bands and raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. I don't know about you, but if I was Job, I would have locked the door. Like, that's three. (laughs) Nothing good is going to walk in the door again. And yet, while he was still speaking, verse 18, another came in and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their older brother's home. And suddenly a great wind came from the east across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So from the fire from heaven and this wind, probably like a tornado that we would use in our language, it tells us that Satan has the power over weather. That doesn't mean every time there is a weather event that it is Satan, but sometimes it is. Because look at what happens. People go on TV and they say, wow, the power of God. Insurance companies have a clause that say acts of God. It should say acts of Satan. He is the prince of the power of this air. He has the title deed to this planet. We saw that in Revelation. And so now this great wind comes upon and it falls and it kills all ten of Job's sons and daughters. In a moment, in five minutes, everything that Job has, aside from two things, his wife and his health, everything else is gone in five minutes. What does that feel like? I mean, just think about that for a second. And then his response to that five minutes is what's incredible. And so, verse 20, it says, Job tore his robe. Why is my water back here? Odd. Job uh, arose, tore his robe, shaved his head. These are all signs of mourning that they would have done back then. And notice he fell on the ground, and he worshipped. I want you to circle or highlight that word worship. Would this have been your response? Would you have cursed God at this moment? What was your response if you were in the position of Job? Hear this, because we're at the end. I know we're all tired from all learning and science and everything. Hear this. The reason why Job is able to worship God is because he is already a worshiper of God. The reason why Job is is going through and his response after the five minutes is because he already knew what his response would be if something like this happened. He is already prepared. Because notice his response in a minute. He is already prepared. Are you prepared for the five minutes to come upon your life? If you're prepared for that, if you know this verse next, then no matter what comes, I'm not saying that he is not grieving, that he is not sorrowful. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that he knows who God is, and he knows that all that he has comes from God even his kids, even his livelihood, his job and everything. 
And I say that in the day in which we live in, where it very well could be that you need to leave the job that you're in because they are mandating something. And maybe God has something else for you. Don't ever, I mean, as Americans, we get into that. We stuck into this little, this, this is where I am. And God says, I might have something else there for you. Something else that you can do for the kingdom of God, and yet I'll still provide for you. And Job has a outlook of a worshiper because he is already a worshiper. He knows I worship God in what I have or don't have. Paul echoes the same thing. I am content to be abased or not to be abased, to be abound or not to be abound. Wherever I am, Paul says, I praise God. But they're already prepared for that, so when the time comes, they are able to say to the doctor and look them in the eye and say, God is going to do a work through whatever you just told me I was diagnosed with. Either I live or I die. It is God and God alone who I serve. And what did you just do? You blew the mind of a doctor. And he says, where do you go to church? Do you see? Listen to Job. Naked I came into my mother's womb. We know these verses so well. By the way, as we work our way through, you'll see a lot of the phrases that we use, even in our modern day language, come from Job. And this is one of them. Naked I came in from my mother's womb. Naked I'll return there. The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I learned that in the King James when I was a kid. What did he just say in that? He said, when I came in, I didn't have anything. When I go out, I'm not going to have anything. My hearst isn't pulling a U-Haul trailer. Right? What a, I have very little time. I won't go down that path. I will go down that path. But it'll be a very small path. Let me say something to you. I have been uh, privy to, there's a big word, uh, privy to watching family members quarrel over inheritance. Have you? in a detrimental way that destroys the family. And I say to those today, if you want to, if you have something for your family as inheritance, give it to them now. Don't wait then when the lawyers get a cut, amen, or the IRS get a cut. Eliminate the problems before. Listen, because when we come into this world, we're naked. When we go out, We're naked. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Job knew that everything that he has, everything that he has done, and I would say this, as a successful businessman, is all because of God. It is not because Job is an awesome businessman. It is because he is a follower of Jehovah God. The danger is when you think that you're a great businessman when you're a great this or great that. I have the talents only because God gave them to me. I was just in, last week in Fredericksburg, Alec taught for me on Wednesday night. It was great. I was teaching up at Fredericksburg at the Calvary Chapel there. And, and again, I, I, I electrician by trade, done sound and lighting. I was able to fix their lighting system. And uh, they had this three-way switch. And I knew, and and if you know anything about electrical, you know, the worst thing to do is walk into somebody's else, someone else's house and try to fix their electrical because you have no idea what that electrician did. It should be common sense, but oftentimes it's not. And I sat there and I was like, there was this problem between the two and it was their main house lights that were not working and there were the popping breakers. And the, so I decided that I would change them out. And when we did that, I, I'm like, Lord, okay, you have given me the wisdom and the knowledge to do that because church was about to start and people were coming in, here I am in my flamingo shirt, <laughs> right? And what uh, the, the guy I was working with in the sound booth and the, the, the people were starting to fill in and they're set, they're, they, they were asking him, hey, uh, who's teaching tonight? And he said, the guy fixing the electrical. 
in my flamingo shirt. By the way, I love that because that's the talent from God. So I have to say, we didn't get it fixed that night. The next morning, we come back, we started fixing it. I just kept saying to the Lord, Lord, this is your house. Just tell me what's wrong. Pulled out this other uh, switch, and sure enough, it was wired wrong. Put it on there, turned it, started working. And those guys in that church were like, we have been playing with this thing for, I think, six or eight months. It's not because I'm smart, and you all know that. It is because of what God has given me the ability to do. It's the talent that he has given me. And I use it for the purposes of the kingdom. I didn't charge them to do that. I just did it because I knew that God's house is important when God's people are in God's house. Everything that I have is from God. He can take it or he can let me have it. It all comes from him. And here is Job's heart. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you, like Job, worship God in that five minutes of tragedy? If you can't, then this book is for you. If you can, this book is for you. But if you can't, that means you have a theological problem with God, and I oppose to you, you have a verse 20 problem with God. That's a worship problem. I'm not sure you know who you're worshiping then. You might be like Job's friends, very religious, but you still don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And only that relationship, only the power of God in your life will bring you to a place where you truly are a worshiper and you say, Lord, whatever I have, it is yours, and you can take it, any time, but I will not deny the name of the Lord. I am not, Paul said, ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 22, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So woohoo, God, Satan, Satan is what? Wrong. Had a bad day again. Oh. Never has a good day. What did he set, set out to do? Lord, you take it all away from him. He's going to curse you to to your face. So in this, Satan was utterly disappointed once again. He found a man of God who loved his God more than his earthly possession. He had been so successful in this kind of temptation that he made no doubt he succeeded a lot with this temptation. But now there is one guy who didn't. You see, Satan uses things over and over and over. He's not very creative. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I just simply means he, he really doesn't have a whole lot in his bag of tricks. But he knows that this one works. And it often works, sadly, to members inside of the church. And they walk out the door never to return. And I post to you, they do that because they were never a worshiper to begin with. They didn't prepare their heart for when the time is coming. Listen, it's when, not if. We will all go through something. Real life has real suffering. And this life is a worth it life. And not everything in our eyes is fair. But God knows. He knows how much you can handle, how much to put on you, and what to take away from you. Amen? Read ahead. Next week we'll see uh, Job (laughs) has medical problems. Now listen, this is why this book is powerful in 2021. Because we have all experienced things of chapter 1. And we have all experienced things in chapter 2. And then we will see the the start of Job's friends. So read ahead for next week, Job chapter 2, Lord willing. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your mighty and powerful word. 
We thank you for the life of Job and the experience that he had, Lord, and that it was fixing his theological problems that he had. But I thank God that he was a worshiper and that he knew, Lord, his place on planet Earth. He knew that you gave him all and it could be taken away. And who is he to complain? And he had the heart of blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, let us have the heart of a worshiper. We thank you, Lord, for all that, all that you have given us, all that we have. We thank you for that hedge of protection. We thank you, Lord, that you strengthen us during those, those five-minute times. And so, Lord, bless the rest of our day with family and friends. In Jesus' name, amen.